This is our family service, as Karen's mentioned, and uh, just to try to help some of our young ones if they're listening and uh, interested, I hope, to uh, hear the sermon. We will have some slides. It might help some older ones too. I have forgotten my clicker, so whenever I poke my tongue out at David, he's going to, uh, or something, uh, he's going to flick on. So we'll have that title slide up. Thanks, David. Secrets of the Kingdom. Uh, You might have come across a sign like this walking down your street. I used to do a paper round when I was young, go and collect the money for people who had the advertiser or the news or whatever it was. And uh, signs like that used to scare me if you saw them on the gate of a place that you were going to knock on the door and ask for their their payment, beware of the dog. Um, I didn't like dogs very much back then. Sometimes those signs can be quite genuine, can't they? Uh, It could be quite a vicious dog. Like that. And sometimes the danger can be pretty minimal. <laughs> I did think about getting a sign for our new little puppy uh, on our new gate for the new puppy, the things that seem to happen, but the only danger that she presents is you might trip over her or get licked to death. It's not always the case, though, is it, <clears throat> that when there's a beware of the dog sign, that there is a dog there. Sometimes it's just there to make sure people no one comes through the gate. Sometimes it's an old sign, um, Usually if it is warranted though, if there's a sign that says beware of the dog and you should beware, often the dog will let you know well and truly before you get close enough to read the sign that there is a dog there that you should be aware of. He, will, he or she will smell you out and he will let you know <laughs> that it's their territory. We've been hearing the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount these past weeks. And recently we've been hearing how our righteousness in chapter 5 is to exceed that of the Pharisees. And Jesus then gave six practical examples of what that righteousness might look like in practice. Examples involving anger, lust, marriage, faithfulness, non-retaliation, loving our enemies. And Jesus taught us to let our light shine, as I shared with the children. Let our light shine so that others may see your good works, your Righteousness worked out in practice, the spirit being born out in your life. Let others see that so that they might give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But this morning, Jesus puts a big sign in front of us that says, Beware. He warns us of a danger. Beware of letting our light shine so that others will see us. Beware of seeking glory for ourselves rather than for God. Jesus knows how proud we can be, doesn't he? He knows what's in the heart of man. And unlike those warning signs about dogs, which I said sometimes you can ignore, sometimes maybe not, (laughs) you'll know that when you hear the barking dog and see its bared teeth, but this is a warning to be taken quite seriously. This warning is here for our good, Not to restrict us, although it should make us think twice about certain actions or behaviours. But it's a warning to protect us. It's a warning to guard us and also to guard our reward, the very gift of God our Father, who is in heaven. Beware, Jesus says, in the opening verse of Matthew 6, if you haven't got your Bibles open, open them up, Matthew 6. Beware of practising your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And he gives the reason for that warning. For then, 
you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is not just a sign on a gate pretending there's a vicious guard dog that we need to be aware of, only to find it's all bark and no bite. This is Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, our King, zealous that we would receive the gift and reward that the Father has in store for us. He doesn't want us to miss out on what is so good and so rich for something which is so trivial and temporary. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That first verse is really the main point of Jesus' message for us this morning. The rest from verses 2 to 18, and even beyond that, that we've had read for us, provides examples of how we should heed this warning, how it should be applied to our life of faith. Three examples Jesus gives with regards to almsgiving, giving to the poor and the needy, regarding prayer and then fasting. Now we could spend a lot of time this morning looking at each of those examples and activities, and I will say a little about each. But what I actually want to focus on this morning is what's repeated in each of these examples, because I think that will help us hear the message of Jesus more. Back in chapter 5, as I've shared, Jesus has encouraged us to let our light shine so that others will see our good works and give glory to God our Father. But here he warns us not to let our light shine so that others see us. Can you hear the difference? It's not that we shouldn't be practicing our righteousness. Jesus isn't saying that we should. He's not even saying we shouldn't practice our righteousness publicly before others, because in chapter 5, that's exactly what he wants to happen. The difference is don't do it in any part of life so that others see you and give you the praise and glory rather than God. That's the difference. Don't parade your righteousness, your good works, in order to get a pat on the back, in order to get praise from your fellow men or women for your status, approval, acceptance or kudos. Because, Jesus warns, if you do, you might just miss out on the reward your Heavenly Father has in store for you. And you don't want that. I don't want that for you. I want you to receive that reward from your Father. Instead, Jesus says, do some of these things in secret. That is, keep it between you and God. Don't make a big scene about it. Don't make a big show of it when you give money to the poor. Do it in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. Don't make a big show of it. And when you fast, don't make sure everyone knows that you're fasting and just to see how pious and wonderful you are. Because your Father sees in secret and he will reward you. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Almsgiving, prayer and fasting, uh, they were and they are most, some of the most prominent practical requirements in a number of religions, not just in Christianity and Judaism. They're also expected and practiced by devout um, Muslims, Buddhists. But when it comes to what Jesus is referring to here, when it came to giving to the needy and to prayer and fasting, there were some, quite probably from the scribes and Pharisees, who were making a big show about it. I might just go back a slide if that's all right, David. 
They probably didn't really blow trumpets and have a big fanfare out in the street saying, look at me, I'm giving to the poor. But they did make sure everyone in the synagogue or out in the streets knew what they were doing. They made it public. And Jesus warns us here quite simply and quite clearly, don't be like that. Don't make a big song and dance about it. There is no need for everyone else or anyone else to know how much you give or when you give or why you give or even that you give. That's what the hypocrites do, Jesus says, in the synagogues and out on the streets. But it's not what God's kingdom children do. Remember, this whole message, this whole sermon is about what takes place in God's kingdom and among his kingdom children here on earth. That word hypocrite, we see the masks there. We often use the word a hypocrite um, as someone who doesn't do what they tell everyone else to do. They say one thing and do another. They don't practice what they preach, which is fair use of the word. But traditionally, a hypocrite was an actor. They were a stage player. And back in the day of Greek theatre and the traditional theatres, Greek and Rome, the actors would wear a mask to portray their character. What you saw on stage was not the real person, it was an act. And so to be a hypocrite is to be a pretender, to be a mask wearer, to be putting on an act. And so when it comes to these things that Jesus is speaking about, if you're giving in order that others see you for their praise for yourself, Jesus is saying, yeah, you might be giving to the poor and needy on the outside. That's what people see, but it's all a show. What's actually really happening is you want praise for yourself. It's not actually giving to the poor and needy. You're trying to get from anyone who would say, oh, what a lovely person they must be. It's all a facade. They're wearing a mask. What you see is only the character on the outside. What's really taking place on their heart is purely selfish. Don't be like that, Jesus says. Because any praise or reward they get in this life, well, that's all they're going to get. Instead, when you give to the needy, not if, but when, Jesus does expect his followers to be practising these things. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I like what one commentator, Craig Blomberg, says about verse 3, not letting your left hand know what your right's doing. He says, it's literally possible only for those who undergo a lobotomy. Like, as in you can't, practically, physically do that. But what's the message Jesus is saying? Don't make a show of it. Don't blow your own trumpet and don't even let your own pride rise up that you give, even in secret. Even self-praise is frowned upon. Just let it take place. Let it be an outflow of God's love for you flowing out to others in love. Do it privately between you and God. And then Jesus makes that promise. Your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. You won't miss out because no one else knows. And that's what we're afraid of, I think, a lot of the time. If no one knows I do these good things, then what reward am I going to... No, you will. Your heavenly father will reward you. You don't need to do what your children might do and what you would have done as a young child, I'm sure, when you could do something really special like do a cartwheel or ride your bike. Look at me, Dad. Look at me, Mum. Look what I can do. 
We don't need to do that with our Heavenly Father. He knows what we're doing. Even the stuff that no one else knows. We don't need to try and get God's attention that way to make sure he's just looking at the right time for us. He sees us and he will reward us. The same goes for praying. Jesus goes on, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray for everyone to see, whether that's in the synagogue or on the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Again, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They're hypocrites again. Sometimes if I'm out sharing with someone and we're out in public in a cafe or somewhere else and it feels good and right to pray with them, I'll usually ask that person, are you happy to pray here? I think it's just good and right to ask. Some folk can be hesitant to pray in public and that's okay. But all the more with what Jesus is saying here, we're not praying so that others will see and say, oh, they must be really godly people. No, Jesus says pray in your own room, not for the praise of others. When you're praying, it's between you and God. Pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't think Jesus is saying there's never a time for public prayer. What he's saying is there's never a time to pray in public so that others would see what you're doing and give you a pat on the back. It's the motive behind the action. And Jesus then adds this with regards to prayer. Even for our private prayers, and I suggest for our public prayers too, when we do pray, sometimes, often even, less is more. When we pray, applying what some people call the KISS principle can be quite a helpful and even a holy thing to do. Keep it simple, silly, or stupid, some people add. The KISS principle, keep it simple, silly. That is, God is not going to hear you more. He's not going to answer you more quickly or pay more attention to you if you pray louder and longer and with big theological words. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, Jesus tells us. They think they're going to be heard more for their many words. Now, I think it's fair to say not all of us are gifted with the art of brevity. But it is something we can all learn. And we can all learn and try to put into practice as preachers, as parents, when we discipline our children. Sometimes we think the more we say, the louder we say it, the more they're going to hear it and take it in. How many of your kids have ever said, Mum, Dad, thank you so much for giving me that long, loud lecture. I really appreciated that and I really want to take it on. It's not how it works, is it? But even as prayers, sometimes exercising brevity is a good thing. Not because shorter prayers are better. Not because if we pray really long prayers, we're going to be late at church and lunch will be long and won't get home. No, but because I waffle... Empty phrases that we might include in our prayers, thinking that's going to make God hear us more, or worse still, everyone else is going to hear us pray and how well we pray. It's wrong. And they make no difference to whether God hears our prayers or not. Can you remember the time when Elijah was on the mountaintop with the prophets of Baal? And he said, right, you set up an altar and I'll set up an altar. And he says, you go first. You pray, you ask your God to come down and strike fire on your altar. And they yell and scream and loud. And, come on, more, says Elijah. He's obviously not hearing you. You've got to do more. And they cut themselves and they weep and they wail. Maybe he's gone to the toilet to relieve himself, Elijah says, because nothing's happening. 
through all the noise and all the action, and nothing happens. We don't need to be like that with our Heavenly Father. Your Father who knows and hears and sees in secret, hears your prayers. In fact, Jesus says, and look at it carefully, we're going to look at this more next week. Don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the Gentiles. Verse 8, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So you don't need to say it loudly. You don't need to pray longer. You don't need to fill your prayers up with all these big phrases. God, your Father, knows what you need. And so we don't need to pray, do we? If God already knows, why pray? That's not what Jesus says at all. God, your Father, knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then like this. Have you ever realised that's the context of the Lord's Prayer? It's because our Father knows what we need that we pray like this. It's a wonderful way to start in our prayers, knowing that the Father knows what we need, isn't it? It doesn't mean don't pray, but it means there's a way we can pray, acknowledging that God our Father does know and that he's the giver of all things and that his kingdom comes first. As I said, we're going to look at that next week. I want to look at these bits beforehand and give enough time to the Lord's Prayer next week. But two things just to note. First of all, Jesus, I don't think, ever necessarily intended that we recite the Lord's Prayer as he taught it here. He said pray like this. He didn't say pray these words. I don't think there's anything wrong, as the church has done for centuries, to pray the Lord's Prayer as we do. I think it's really good and helpful. And it's good to have prayers in our minds, biblical prayers, that we have learned. But secondly, as I said, the reason we're to pray like this is because our Father knows what we need, even before we ask. I want you to ponder that. It might sound a little bit back to front. As I said, surely if God knows... Why pray? (laughs) That's not how it works in God's kingdom. He wants us to share with him and communicate and share our hearts with him. But I want you to ponder that for the rest of the week. What does Jesus mean? How does it play out for us and for the Father that he knows what we need and therefore we pray something like the Lord's Prayer? Read through it and see how it actually uh, recognises, acknowledges that the Father knows everything already. Enough on that. More of that next week. Fasting is the third area Jesus speaks about. Again, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't disfigure your faces so that everyone can see that you're fasting. Fasting is not as popular or prevalent in Christian circles today, perhaps because it's not mentioned much in the New Testament. It's not commanded at all, but there are examples of it. It's commended. Examples of God's church praying and fasting, the two often go together. On one occasion, remember, Jesus said a certain demon could only be cast out, could only be rebuked through prayer and fasting. In the Old Testament, fasting, again connected with prayer, is usually um, involving repentance or lament, grief, or seeking God's favour and guidance. Repenting, 
grief, seeking God's favour and guidance. New Testament examples tend to be that third one, not always, but tend to be like Paul's ministry particularly, prayer and fasting, who are they going to send out? And the Lord guides them and says, send out Paul and Barnabas, things like that. So there are examples of it in the New Testament. Or who do we appoint as elders? Whatever the case, biblical fasting is always a task of humility, not pride. Not something to be proud of, not something to seek praise from men. It's definitely not used in the Bible for weight loss with a dose of spiritual fries on the side. You can choose to fast if you want to lose weight that way, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This kind of fasting is always Godward. that we might be reminded that everything we have comes from the Lord. He is the source of all we need and we look to him for blessing and for guidance. And so to fast in order to be seen by others, again, is hypocritical. It's not Godward at all, it's usward. And whatever they might be seeking from God in return, they're not going to get. If you, pray, if you fast like the hypocrites so that others will see you, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Instead, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Make it look like you're just going through a normal day. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but it will be seen by your Father who is in secret. And again, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's no double dipping when it comes to rewards for righteousness. Can't get praise from man and praise from God. Jesus is saying here, now if you get your praise from men, you've received a reward. That's as far as it goes. No, your father who sees in secret, he sees your heart and he will reward you. Isn't it wonderful? So often in scripture where God gives these warnings through his prophets and here through Jesus. There's always a word of promise attached to that warning. Beware, don't do this, turn to God, turn away from your idols. And here's the promise. Your father who sees, he will reward you. God is watching all the time. Now most of us, our young ones are here. How many times as a parent have we used that against our kids? Or when we were growing up, God sees everything. He knows what you're doing. And it's almost a threat. Watch out. Make sure you're good. That's not how Jesus is using it here at all, is he? God sees everything. He knows everything. He sees your heart. And he will reward you. It's a wonderful promise. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Yes, at times scripture does warn us, you know, God sees everything, he sees to the heart. Hebrews 4 speaks about the word of God, living and active, cutting the the two-edged sword, discerning even the thoughts and intentions of our heart so that everything is exposed to him, to whom we must give account. But here three times, again and again, Jesus says, no, your father sees in secret and he will reward you. The only reason there's ever any fear when we hear God is watching is because of sin, isn't it? It's when we're not doing what God, what pleases God. But if we're practicing righteousness, the gift of God to us in his Son and by the Spirit, if that's what we're about, there's no fear in God's seeing. 
In fact, there's joy, there's encouragement, there's anticipation looking forward to a reward from our Heavenly Father. So I guess the question may be on your lips, I don't know about it. What is this reward that Jesus promises our Heavenly Father has for us? If it's praise from men that the hypocrites are after, then is our reward praise from God our Father? The word Jesus uses, reward, simply means wages or pay. It's what you get in recognition or remuneration for work done. But our wider understanding of scriptures and of God at work, in Luke 17, for example, we're to have the attitude of anything we do in Christian love and service simply as our duty. We're just being a servant to our Lord and Master. We don't deserve any reward. But then on the other side, there's the extreme generosity of the Lord whom we serve, isn't there? Who promises anyone who follows him at great cost and gives up things, they will receive a hundredfold in return and eternal life. Craig Blomberg, that scholar I mentioned earlier, he suggests that the reward that humans can offer obviously refers to a claim or praise in this life. So the reward God will bestow or withhold probably also refers to spiritual benefit and growth in holiness in this life as well. So he sees that parallel taking place. If it's praise here on earth that we could get from men, it must be something here on earth that God will give us. That may be right. It may not be. I don't think every scholar is right. Jesus has already used the notion of reward in the Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew 5, verse 12, when he declared that those who are persecuted and reviled for his name's sake, blessed are those who are persecuted, who reviled for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, he goes on to say, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they preached, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So maybe it's heavenly reward. Is it salvation itself? Is our salvation at stake here? Ultimately, it could be. If we keep chasing the praise of men and that becomes our idol to the point that we turn completely away from Christ, then yes. I wonder if there isn't something of the joy of our giving rather than receiving that's at stake here. That could be something of the reward. In a few weeks' time, in verse 19 onwards, we're going to hear about laying up treasure for ourselves. Different word, but similar principle. Are you going to lay up treasure for yourselves here on earth or in heaven? One's very temporary and it's liable to decay and moths and rust. The other's guarded and kept for us in heaven and it's eternal and undefiled and pure. Again, later in Matthew, in chapter 25, The parable of the talents. Jesus seems to be teaching again there is some kind of reward stored up or accumulated in heaven for acts of righteousness, for those servants who have done well with what they've been given. But their reward actually seems to be responsibility. (laughs) You've been faithful with little, so I'm going to put you over much in my kingdom. You're going to be responsible for some things. But I do think it definitely involves joy when our Lord and Master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. There's some praise, isn't there? Praise from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Whatever you think the reward God has in store for us here, whatever you think it is, whether it's any of that or all of that together, 
I think the real question for us to ask is, do we want to risk losing that reward for the sake of a bit of praise from our fellow men and women? Would we dare miss out on any reward from God? That's how serious this warning from Jesus is. He's telling us it's not worth it. You praise from men, if that's what you want, that's all you're going to get. If that's what you want, you're going to miss out on your reward from our Father in heaven. And it's just not worth it. Again, in a few weeks' time, we're going to hear, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. You won't miss out. We won't miss out. And just to finish this morning, if the reward, the gift of God and all his blessings are so rich and so wonderful, you can hear, I think, the heart of Jesus here. I don't want you to miss out on this. Why is it we keep looking to others for praise and acceptance and approval? I can remember growing up desperate for praise and acceptance and approval. Maybe we don't realise what's at stake, that we could actually miss out on something from God. Maybe we don't know how loved by God we actually are and how much we are accepted in Christ and approved and adopted and welcomed into his family as his own children. And maybe we shared a bit about this on Wednesday night with a group, Bible study group. Maybe as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all too quick to criticise and find fault in one another. And we don't feel very praised and accepted or affirmed even in our church family, in God's family, maybe even in our own homes, dads and mums. Do we encourage and acknowledge and affirm our own children? Dads to their sons, I think more than anything, but mums to their daughters and dads to their daughters and mums to their daughters as well. We're so quick to criticise, to put down, get frustrated, I put my hand up. I haven't done it well. They need to know that they're loved and accepted unconditionally because that's how the Father has accepted us. And if they don't know that in our own homes and in our church home, they're going to look for that love and acceptance somewhere else, aren't they? They're going to seek the praise and acceptance of men and women in the world. And they're going to miss out on a reward. We don't want that for our kids. I don't want that for us as a church. No, we're not to go out doing our lives and loving and serving so that others see us and give us praise and puff up our ego. But we are told, aren't we, in the New Testament to build one another up in love, to encourage and edify one another. That's actually what takes place, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, when the church is working properly together. We build one another up in love. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, we're to encourage and build one another up, respecting and acknowledging those who labour among us, always seeking to do good to one another. Always seeking to do good to one another. And I find it really interesting and so helpful. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, a few chapters there, And he says, since you, the Corinthian church, are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, you're so keen to see the life of God and the life of the Spirit at work in your church, 
What do you think Paul instructs? Since you're so eager for manifestations of the Spirit, keep praying and pray that the Lord will fill you and ask the Lord to come with power and rev everyone up to have a spiritual experience. That's not what he says. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That is, if you want to see the Spirit at work among you in the church, strive to excel, do everything you can and do it as best you can to build one another up in love. With the gifts of the Spirit you've been given, use them for the building up of the church. I reckon most of us here would have an idea, a picture in our minds of what a Spirit-filled church would look like. And often when we think of that, we're probably thinking the music, the worship, the behaviour of the people, the feel of the place. And some of that might be true, some of it might not be. I think that's quite subjective. But one thing we can be sure of, because it's in God's word, is that a spirit-filled church strives and excels to build one another up in love. I know we don't want to puff each other up so much that we can't get our heads out the door when we walk out. That's not what it's about, though, is it? We don't want to be so puffed up with pride. No, love builds up. Build one another up in love. Speak the truth in love. Be thankful to God for one another and for the gifts he's given you and the way that they're showing your love and your service. Remind one another who we are in Christ Jesus that we are his children filled with the Spirit. Any team, whether it's in the secular workforce in a church, any schoolroom, class or family, who know that they're loved, who know that they belong and are encouraged and valued, so much more joy, isn't there? And there's so much more fruitfulness in a group like that and so much more endurance, I think, when hard times come as well. How, how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity together and how good it is when that unity, I actually think they can't be one without the other, a unity which is accompanied and sustained by a words of encouragement and building one another up in love. All of which really point to those great words that we've heard already. Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a reward looking to look forward to, isn't there? Come, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me finish this morning just with a story to help illustrate what's at stake here and the difference between building one another up and taking the glory away from God. I was listening to a talk a little while ago from a, a conference uh, with Alastair Begg and others, and an American fellow named Herschel York was speaking, and he tells the story of an American pastor and missionary in Brazil, a fellow called John Hatcher, who in his student years, John Hatcher as a student, while at college, planted three churches. And over his lifetime in ministry in Brazil, he'd planted 70 churches that survived, 70 churches in Brazil. Herschel York, the fellow telling the story, he had lived with John for some time in Brazil. 
And near the end of his life in his 90s, Herschel went to visit John and just commended him on his life and gave thanks to God for him. It's a good thing to do. Prayed with him. But at one point he suggested that his life and ministry was so wonderful and such a great missionary story, surely someone should write this down so that others can hear about it. And John Hatcher had tears in his eyes and Herschel saw the terror in the man's face when he heard those words. He said, please don't. Why not, said Herschel. It's such a great story of God's goodness. And he said, yes, yes, but don't rob me of my reward. Jesus said you can do it for the praise of man or for the praise of God. I want the unfading crown of glory. Don't rob me of that. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us so much in your Son. How much more will you not graciously give us all things? And yet we know in our own hearts and our flesh and sinful ways that so often we look for the praise and glory ourselves rather than giving it to you. Father, we just want to take a moment to recognise that and repent of it. And we pray by your Spirit, Father, we would heed this warning of Christ this morning not to be hypocrites, not to look for the praise of men and women, but to give you the glory, to let our light shine so that others might give you the glory and see your goodness and grace and your love at work in us and through us. Help us to know, Father, how to respond when people do acknowledge us and give us praise. Give us words that would point them to you, to your goodness and grace. And give us hearts, Father, in our homes, in our church, in the workplace even, to encourage and build one another up in love and to give thanks to God for one another. And Father, would we hear this great promise that you who sees in secret will reward us. And may that be our treasure and what we long for and look forward to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.